You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 949 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you deep into the night here on a Sunday evening into Monday morning. And today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off on your next order with Built Bar. Today's show will dive into Sunday night's game between the Hawks and the Cavs. A nice win for Atlanta, and that is five in a row for the Hawks. In fact, the last time the Hawks won five games in a row was during the Dwight Howard era. A seven-game winning streak from December 28th of 2016 through January 10th of 2017. So it's been a long while. As I pointed out on Twitter, that was the last time the Hawks were actually trying to win <laughs> was that season. Uh, every time after that, they were kind of in the middle of that rebuild from the last year of the Bud era to the beginning of the Pierce era and the Trey era and all that stuff. But still, it's a long time, and the Hawks were playing very well at this moment. It was a nice win for the Hawks, and five in a row, you can't, you can't complain about that in any way, shape, or form. So we'll dive into that game throughout the podcast here. I will say at the top, if you're a new listener, welcome aboard. It's been quite busy, and of course, when the Hawks win, I'm not uh, I'm not silly enough to, under, to not understand this. When the Hawks win, people want to listen to the podcast more, so I might have some new listeners every once in a while when the Hawks do well. I will just plug a few things here at the top. I talked to Caitlin Cooper of Indie Cornrows last week on the podcast about Nate McMillan. She covered Nate for four seasons in Indiana. A lot of good insight on that podcast. Caitlin is very smart, and that's worth listening to now that McMillan especially is having some success in Atlanta. kind of tells you what the history is there, what his approach is, and all of that stuff. As well as Brian Schroeder was on the podcast last week for a two-part episode about the NBA draft. That is still very current at this point in time, especially with March Madness now looming, NCAA tournament happening beginning later this week. So that's all very, very strong content on the podcast. And uh, please subscribe to the show, rate, review, all that sort of stuff. And thank you as always for listening. Okay, we'll dive in now to the game itself. Uh, The sort of semi-bombshell that dropped on Sunday afternoon was that Clint Capella was listed as questionable for this game with left heel pain. And as was Onyeka Okongwu with the adductor issue that actually popped up before Saturday's game, he ended up playing on Saturday, Okongwu did. And Capella did as well, but both guys ruled out after McMillan spoke. So about 6.15-ish before 7.30 tip-off, both guys were ruled out. And there, there seemed to be some actual genuine uncertainty there, but McMillan was not sure what was going to happen with those guys. But, you know, the Hawks were still favored. I will point that out, as I said on Twitter before the game started. Even with Capella ruled out, our friends at Bound AG had the Hawks favored by about five points at tip-off. Now, Obviously, the Cavs are not as good as the Hawks. That's worth pointing out, and the, and the game was in Atlanta. So those, things, those two things are definitely both in the Hawks' favor. At the same time, the Cavs were on regular rest. And as I've said a number of times, Capella is the team's second most indispensable player. The Hawks really struggle with Capella off the floor in general. So to have him off the floor entirely for a full game is not ideal. And the Hawks you know, kind of showed some limitations in the first three quarters of this game. And they broke it open, and Cleveland's not very good. But alas, um, you know... Getting a win without Capella is pretty significant, as we'll talk about later on in the podcast. That sort of sets the stage for what's coming on here. But honestly, the Cavs have had the Hawks number dating back the last four meetings. The Hawks actually lost four in a row to Cleveland, including two this year. Famously, the Lamar Stevens dunk to beat the Hawks back in February. It was kind of a maddening performance. So uh, the Hawks had some revenge on their minds here. They were not shy about saying that last night. Uh, I know Rondo did mention that at one point. They kind of had their number, and uh, they had something ready for the Cavs, and they, they played like it in this game. So there you go on that. Um, as far as the nuts and bolts of the way the game transpired, we'll dive into that now. And the Hawks actually started this game very well. 
It was a 13-4 run at the outset. Gallinari had it going in the early going. He had seven points, a nice lob dunk for Collins from a pass by Tony Snell. Um, Collins did struggle efficiency-wise in the early going, but other than that, a lot of positives. The Hawks went to a similar rotation to normal, um, except for without Capella, of course, and without Kongwu as well. And obviously, Kongwu's been playing a little bit less, but um, he's been a fixture in the rotation the last couple of weeks at a bare minimum. So really, the two pure centers the Hawks have been playing for a while now, not playing in this game. So they, they started Collins at the center spot with Gallinari, and they put Gallinari on Kevin Love at the outset. Now, Love left the game after two minutes. He was injured, so they kind of had to change their game plan a little bit, but it was Larry Nance. Uh, Nance is more mobile than Love is, but this is a pretty decent game for Gallinari to have defensively. There's nobody really that's going to terrify you on the Cavs offensively in that spot. Um, it's not great to get a matchup with, like, Colin Sexton and Iso, but other than that, it wasn't too bad, and then Collins going against Jared Allen is pretty comfortable in that matchup as well. So, um, the Hawks did go to Solomon Hills, the first sub, and then it was Nathan Knight. And uh, the other sort of co-lead alongside the five-game winning streak is the fact that Nathan Knight was awesome in this game. So we'll touch on that, obviously, throughout. But um, the Cavs opened slow in this spot. The Hawks led by as many as 11 points in the first quarter. And uh, I will point out, it is a little bit wild, um, I guess less so now that Knight, Knight played so well in this game. But I looked up in the first quarter, again, the first quarter of a game in March in which the Hawks are trying to win. They're in the middle of a playoff push. They're on a winning streak and they're playing their second unit. And it's, and it's a combination of Nathan Knight and Bruno Fernando at the four and the five. That is not what anybody expected to happen this season. So that happened in the first quarter. Um, it didn't go particularly well. The first stint um, with Bruno on the floor, um, but the Hawks did lead by 11 points in the first quarter. They actually slowed down a little bit. And uh, the theme for me, in addition to the back and forth nature of this game and overall was the incredibly slow pace. The Hawks are playing at a glacial pace under, under McMillan, uh, which is another thing that I talked about with Kevin Cooper on that podcast I plugged earlier, is that this is not a surprise, at least to me. Uh, McMillan is very deliberate in what they run. They're not pushing the ball. They're not in transition quite as much. There was some transition opportunities in this game, but in general, they're not pushing pace. And, you know, it's working right now, but it's definitely a change. And in this game, it was kind of a slog throughout, especially in the first quarter. Um, but the Hawks led by four points. Uh, they kind of gave up a bunch at the rim, in the opening period, um, from that point forward, they actually got a lot better, but they allowed 16 points at the, in the paint uh, in the first quarter, and I was a little bit worried about the defense. You know, obviously, without Capella, it's going to be a little bit shaky regardless, and I was a little bit more concerned after the first quarter, despite Cleveland missing a couple bunnies at the rim, but the Hawks did tighten up from there, which is nice to see at that point in time. Um, the second quarter was not was not Atlanta's finest hour overall. It was their worst quarter of the game, um, and especially the first stint of it was pretty ugly. In fact, turnovers on both, on both sides of the floor, really. But the, but the Cavs kind of pushed slowly with nine straight points to take the lead. There was a funny-slash-weird JaVale McGee fadeaway jump shot that went in. Um, the Cleveland Star actually had a 12-0 run early in the second quarter, um, dating back to, to, to the first quarter, actually. That, that gave him a five-point lead. Uh, I, will, I will just say that Bruno Fernando struggled. It was not only him. If you saw my mentions during that point uh, on Twitter, uh, you would have thought that Bruno like laid down on the floor and just didn't even, you know, uh, it was bad. Uh, it was not, it, maybe not quite as bad as people thought it was, but it was not a, a good stint from anybody, but especially from Bruno. Um, they went back to a couple starters after that and stabilized things a little bit. There was a nice three by John Collins um, to reestablish some normalcy there. But again, a glacial pace. In fact, it, there were only 22 points combined in the first eight minutes of the second quarter. Both teams really scuffling. They were trying, uh, the Cavs were trying, were trying to get the ball out of Trey Young's hands, and the Hawks had some pretty, pretty good success. I think Trey, uh, to his great credit in this game, played under control and did not push the push the envelope. They didn't need to. 
Uh, he played, you know, not not a ton of minutes. He didn't take a ton of shots, but he played the right way. Had a bunch of nice drop off passes and let the game come to him, and uh, that was very nice to see from him. But the Hawks did tie it up and then take the lead at the end of the first half. Uh, Knight made an impact immediately. He had the bigger one in the second half, but especially in the first half as well. Good energy, had a nice block, attacked the rim a couple times, and the Hawks led by three at the break, which honestly felt like a win because of how bad they were in the second quarter for the most part. So getting getting in the locker room with a lead is a positive, even if they had led by much, a much larger uh, amounts earlier on in the first quarter. And the Hawks just didn't shoot the ball well in the first half. They were 9 of 22 on two-point attempts before halftime. Um, but they were able to withstand that by making six threes and also 13 and 14 at the free throw line. That was a couple of uh, huge things that we'll come back to in this game. The Hawks won uh, not only with the shooting edges in this game, but the free throw line you know, was kind of uh, huge, and we'll come back to that at the end of the podcast. But um, offensively, it was kind of a reasonable half for both sides, but the pace was so slow that you would not have known that because the score was so low. It was it was 49-46, and even then, um, that probably sort of understates how slow the pace was. But alas, uh, we'll come back and talk more about the second half of this game in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast, and the first of which is Headspace. Wouldn't it be great if there was a pocket-sized guide that helped you sleep, focus, act, and be better? Well, there is, and if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations and an easy-to-use app, and Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advanced in the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation is, Headspace can really help you feel better if you're overwhelmed. Headspace has three-minute SOS meditation for you. If you need some help falling asleep, Headspace has wind-down sessions that their members absolutely swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations that you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Headspace has been awesome for me to not only reduce stress, but also help me get some rest, uh, sort of recoup and uh, recharge mentally for the busy schedule that I absolutely have on a daily basis. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. And Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace's meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash lockedonNBA. That's headspace.com slash lockedonNBA for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Go ahead and check out headspace.com slash lockedonNBA today. Today's show is also brought to you by betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your sports action, even without football here to entertain all of us. There's the NBA, of course, on this podcast. There's college basketball. There's the NHL, in addition to soccer and tennis and auto racing and golf and everything that you could possibly imagine to wager on in the sports world. And on top of that, BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, entertainment, and reality TV. There are real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine, and the props are some of the best stuff if you are not necessarily into games and uh, handicapping all of that. There's uh, individual points and individual rebounds and assists and all kinds of uh, subplots that you can take advantage of at BetOnline.ag in the props section. In fact, BetOnline has you covered for all the new scores and the odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website right now or use a mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with betonline.ag. BetOnline is your online sportsbook experts and use the promo code LOCKEDON to get that fantastic 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. One more time, it is promo code LOCKEDON for the welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, and second half is uh, interesting to dive into here. So the third quarter was, you know, not like 
noteworthy in a lot of ways. It was 20 to 20. It was pretty hideous, quite honestly. The entire middle portion of this game was kind of unwatchable. And if you're a Cavs fan, which people are listening to this podcast probably are not, um, it was probably unwatchable the entire game. But the third quarter was kind of a, a good indicator of how ugly some of this stuff was. Um, it was a 7-2 run by the Cavs to open the second half, but it, inf- it unfolded so slowly that it didn't even feel like a run. Um, the Hawks scored two points in the first like four minutes and ten seconds of the second half. It was slow-paced. It was not effective. It was not fun to watch. The Cavs were missing free throws, or it would have been even worse for Atlanta. The Cavs were just kind of a mess at the free throw line, especially early in this game. Jared Allen, I think, started like three three of ten. Was five of twelve as a as um as an individual in this game at the line. But alas, the Hawks did make their one little run in the third quarter behind Nathan Knight. Um, but it was a 7-0 run to give them a five-point lead after the Cavs took brief control. Uh, Knight had a huge dunk when he came in the, for his second stint in the third quarter, and then another easier dunk later on in the period, and then had a shot clock busting three on the right wing. Um, he, of course, had the big game in Memphis back on December 26th, which he had 14 points. That was the Nathan Knight game, um, at least until now. But in this game, he surpassed that. We'll come back to him later on when we do the individual breakdowns. But Knight was awesome. He had 16 points. They gave him the game ball after the game. Trey Young presented that at the end of the game. And just a fun night overall for him. You know, there were lots of, you know, (laughs) positives and negatives about this game in terms of the watching experience. But it's a lot of fun to see Nathan Knight play the way that he plays. He was attacking and attacking and attacking and playing with energy and flying around and having fun. And that was, uh, it was fun to watch that. So uh, shouts to him. He had had a great game in this spot. And he sort of keyed that first little run in the third quarter. Uh, there was the one scary moment was John Collins got undercut and he he hit the he hit the ground very very hard and I'm not sure how he got up. You know Collins is kind of famous for this where he'll take some really ugly falls and seemingly always get up. He's pretty you know flexible I guess or uh, you know durable. But it was that that was one that was kind of scary in, in the moment. Then he popped right back up and was staying in the game and he was fine. But I wanted to at least point that out. The Hawks did lead by as many as seven um, later in the third quarter. But at the end you know with about a minute to go in the third. The Hawks led this game by one, and given that they won the game by 18, if you weren't watching this game and just saw the box score, you'd be surprised to know that, I would bet, that the Hawks led by one in the final minute of the third quarter, and that was true. They led by three at the end of the third quarter, um, but the the big run was yet to come. So they went back tonight to open the fourth quarter. He got to the line for four points pretty much in a row for his new career high. That was a nice little start to that, but the Hawks scored 12 points in a row to open the fourth quarter. It was a 14-0 run overall to go up by 15 at 81-66 with about eight and a half minutes to go. It was probably over right then, but it got even worse from there. It was a 22-2 overall run, and then it actually was over Um, because then the Hawks are up by 21 with about, you know, five minutes to go, six minutes to go. And honestly, that whole push came without Trey Young, which is kind of startling, honestly. It wasn't like he was bad in this game. As I said before, he was he was good, I thought, in this game. But they didn't need him in that little run. In fact, he sat for longer than he was going to, I'm almost positive, because they just didn't need him to come back in. It was a back-to-back. They were rolling, and why not? So that whole time, you know, the Cavs didn't score at all in the fourth until the 755 mark, so that's more than four minutes. They scored two points in the first 730 of the fourth quarter. And that is like mind-blowingly terrible. Um, there was some garbage time in the fourth or, and they got to 16 points in the period, but it was worse than that. In fact, they scored 22 points total in the first 20 minutes of the second half. That is uh, about as bad as it gets. So, you know, some credit to go to the Hawks defense, which we'll come back to in a second, but um, Cleveland's offense is quite bad. They are the worst offense in the league statistically this year. And it showed in that run. It was similar to Saturday night. I, I think I made this point on Twitter as well, but, um, 
Sacramento's defense was the worst in the league coming into Saturday night's game, and that really showed last night. Um, again, credit to the Hawks' offense for scoring the way they did last night, but the Kings' defense was terrible. In this spot, same thing on the other side of the floor, where Cleveland's offense just had no spacing at all, and because they weren't shooting well from three, uh, there wasn't a lot going on there. They missed a bunch of free throws and all that, but they just didn't have anything going offensively, especially in the second half. And again, some credit to the Hawks, but without Capella, you would not have expected that kind of defensive performance, and uh, Cleveland had a, had a part in it. Regardless, though, it was uh, it was over at that point. They went to the garbage time lineups in the last three and a half minutes, so we'll kind of leave it there for the, for the nuts and bolts. But the Cavs shot 28% from the floor in the second half of this game. They had a 45% true shooting for the game. That is, of course, terrible. The Hawks were lights out after halftime. They shot 53, 53% from the floor, 46% from three, and 92% from the free throw line. After halftime for the game, they had a 60% true shooting, which is obviously awesome. Um, overall, the Hawks went about a, about, a one, about a 115 offensive rating in this game, which isn't like uber elite. It's about what they normally would do, a little bit better than that potentially. So, you know, you might think on a normal night when the Hawks went by 18, you would credit the offense. And the offense was pretty good at times. They shot it well. The turnovers were a problem, though, in this game. Uh, it didn't matter because the game was so lopsided, but the Hawks, had, the Hawks had 21 turnovers in this game. That's a lot of turnovers. They lost that by eight, by actually eight. Um, so the possession battle is interesting. The Hawks attempted 11 fewer shots in this game than the Cavs did. And shout-out to Justin Rowan, who covers the Cavs, who pointed this out to me uh, originally before I even noticed it. The, the Hawks made only one more field goal than the Cavs in this game in an 18-point win. So that is attributable to the free-throw line, um, where they made 12 more shots than the Cavs, and they made four more threes. But the Hawks turned the ball over eight more times. So if the shooting battle was a little bit less lopsided, it would have been more interesting. But the Hawks uh, did enough offensively to be just fine in an overall sense. Um, defensively, it was, again, very good. Uh, often, you know, in the first half, I should say, the rebounding battle was not going Atlanta's way, but in the second half, it was more dominant in Atlanta's fashion. And uh, that's a credit to them, especially because of, you know, Capella not being there. Capella's such a good rebounder that you would think that they would be in some trouble. And they kind of were for most of this game. But in the second half, the Hawks won the rebounding battle 23-16 overall. And uh, that was helpful, especially with, you know, Cleveland missing so many sh- so many shots. But for the game, the Cavs uh, scored about, you know, 0.95 points per possession overall, which is uh, terrible, obviously. So credit to the Hawks for having, uh, having that kind of performance, especially on a night without Capella. And there was some gang rebounding going on. Knight was good defensively. Collins did his job defensively. Even Gallinari was, like, in the right place at the right time for the most part. Lots of positives. So, um, you know, overall, as I said, like, they were – they're supposed to win this game anyway. Even without Capella, I would have made the Hawks a small favorite in this game, and they won it. But uh, I was not expecting a blowout. I was I, honestly, especially when it was late, uh, sort of not 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 tie, but close to tied late in the third quarter. I thought it might be close because again, Cleveland had the rest advantage in this game. Normally, the team on the back to back does not pull away in the fourth quarter with their fresh legs, but that kind of happened here with Cleveland not just scoring and uh, a nice win for Atlanta. Okay, before we get to the individual stuff and some final thoughts. On the podcast, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market, and it has been for a while. In fact, it's the best tasting protein bar ever, if I do say so myself. And Built Bar is amazing. It's low calorie, it's low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and tastes fantastic with 100% chocolate on all of its bars. And now is the time to find out which Built Bar is the absolute best because it's Built Bar Madness here in the month of March. The matchups reset on Monday for voting. But as a look ahead, there are a bunch of fun ones to look at for you guys to weigh in on when you want to. 
Toffee Almond against Mint Brownie is coming up. Peanut Butter against Coconut Puff. Caramel Brownie against Double Chocolates. My, my personal favorite, Cookies and Cream, already advanced, by the way. That's kind of the way that it should be. But alas, uh, Salty Caramel playing against Cookie Dough Chunk in the future. All kinds of fun ones. And you want to check those out for sure at BillBar.com or at bar underscore built on Twitter. Um, I have my personal preferences that I've shared numerous times, but everyone has their own palette. So share your thoughts via the voting. That's the best possible way to weigh in here. And uh, eventually they will crown a champion at builtbar.com. Remember also to use the promo code LOCKED15. You get 15% off on your next order. That's LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order at builtbar.com. And check back to see who won the matchups and who'll become the best tasting protein bar ever. One more time, that is promo code LOCKED15 off on your next order at BuiltBar.com. Okay, and we'll close the podcast out with some individual breakdowns. Interesting stuff to get into here, honestly, uh, because, like I said, it was a pretty overall positive performance. uh, And really, most players, I thought, functioned well, or at least average or better in this spot, which makes it easier to talk about, more fun to talk about. Um, The guys who came in at the very, very end, Goodwin and Mays, uh, played the last three minutes. Uh, Not too much to say about those guys, because they just came in and it was all garbage time. Um... Fernando played eight minutes. He was minus 19. Now that is misleading on some level, but it probably isn't on some other levels. You know, Bruno, and again, you win by 18. You don't often see a guy has this minus 19. There is some circumstance in there. I'm trying to be kind. I don't think he played well. I will leave that there. There are lots of people, you know, saying he needs to be cut and all this stuff. I'm not going to go that far. Um, I think that at a minimum, you will probably see Knight ahead of him. Uh, and that should probably happen at this point. Um, you know, they are different players. Bruno is more of a center. Knight is more of a combo big. They can play a little bit of four, for instance. Um, but, you know, in the event that, for instance, like a Kongwu misses time or Capella misses time, uh, there's probably a spot. If if one of those guys is out, there's a spot for playing time. Um, we'll talk about Knight in a second. But um, Fernando, I think, is, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is a reminder that he's not particularly ready to go right now. So we'll kind of leave that there. For now, uh, I thought Rondo was good overall. The first half was not his best. Not his best. I thought he's pretty good after the halftime break. Honestly, like not as good as he was on Saturday, where he made a bunch of plays and you know was more of a highlight making effort. In this game, he kind of just made a bunch of solid uh, plays. There was a play that actually Glenn Willis found of Peter Hoops that he clipped for me. Um, that's actually in the Peter Hoops re- recap of this game. But uh, there was a nice moment where it's got, you know Rondo's being Rondo. He kind of does this like hand gesture to signal to a trailing Gallinari that he needs to get the ball. Um, and it was just a nice little subtle Rondo thing. He's kind of sets a, a little uh, flare screen at the same time. Little stuff that he does. Uh, had four assists, had two steals. Did have four turnovers, but was pretty solid. Plus eight in 17 minutes. Not spectacular, but fine. Um, Bogdanovich was good, I thought, in this game. 12 points in 25 minutes. He was 5-9 from the floor, 2-4 of four from 3. Good to see him making some shots. Like again, as I said last night, I'm not worried about his shooting really at all, but it's still good to have that some some positivity to build on here for his shooting. I thought playmaking wise, he had a couple of nice moments as well. So some positive uh, takeaways from Bogdanovich. Solomon Hill was quiet, but not in a bad way. Very Solomon Hill uh, did not score in 25 minutes. Took one shot, three rebounds, two assists, which is in the right place at the right time defensively. Did Solomon Hill stuff for the most part. And then Nathan Knight was awesome. 16 points, eight rebounds, one assist, one steal, two blocks. Two fouls, plus 17. Got to the line for 10 free throw attempts. Uh, that's a wild number, and he earned them. Like, he was going to the rim and attacking. As I said kind of before on the podcast, that's what I really... I, even before he started going off in this game, I tweeted that I really appreciate that Knight wants to dunk everything, 
And he just, he really just attacks with reckless abandon. And that's a cool thing to watch. Obviously, you don't want him to get injured. And there's probably a little bit of a risk there when you go, when you're going that hard and sort of flying through the air and getting, you know, taking hard falls and all that. But he looks really good. It looks athletic. He looks explosive. Um, defensively, he was pretty good in this game, I thought, as well. Made, made some nice rotations, a couple of nice help, help side blocks. Um, you know, I, I want to stress not to go crazy. I, I saw some uh, takes about, you know, Knight being ahead of a Kongwu. I wouldn't do that. Uh, I know that Knight had a, has had now two awesome games, but he's still a 23-year-old two-way guy who's a rookie, and I think he actually has a chance to be an NBA, like a solid NBA player. I'm not saying otherwise. I just am not quite on, on the line of, um, you know, <laughs> replacing a Kongwu who drafted number six overall with Knight in the rotation. I wouldn't do that. Uh, there are different players as well. Kongwu is definitely more of a, you know, I think he's more of a five. Um, I know they're not necessarily that different in size, but Akong was defense, you know, more of a defense first guy. Knight's probably more a little bit more offense first. Regardless, though, there is some time to look at Nathan Knight um, in spots. Like if they rest Gallinari at any point, like I've kind of been surprised that Gallinari's been playing all these back to backs, for instance. But if they do, um, you know, this, with the schedule the way it is, maybe if you have Gallinari miss some time, you could see Knight in there. I still think at this moment in time. Uh, I don't think he's in the rotation if everybody's healthy, but that's not a, that's not a discredit of him. He was awesome in this game, and honestly, you know, they gave him the game ball, and that was justified. Like, you know, he he really made a huge impact in that run, um, and just really brought on both ends of the floor. So, uh, I'm not sure if I can call this the Nathan Knight game because I already did that once this season uh, when he when he did the, the thing in Memphis, but he was probably better in this game than he was in that game. So. Uh, shouts to him. That was a fun one. It was a fun one to consume. I know Wes Morton, friend of the podcast, Petrie Hoops, who uh, wrote about Wes, who wrote about Nathan Knight in the pre-draft process. A couple of Hawks fans that um, were definitely following him throughout the process as well. But a nice find at, at a minimum. It's been a, do, a good two-way. Um, the Hawks have done well with their two-ways this year. Uh, in the past, the two-way spots have been kind of a... Um, Let's just say there hasn't been a ton out of those spots from the Hawks in the first couple of seasons. Um, they kind of used that as like third point guard stuff and all that stuff. But th- this year, Skylar Mays, real prospect. Nathan Knight, looking like a real prospect. So, nice job, Travis Schlenk. Um, to the starters, and when and won the podcast here. Tony Snell had a quiet one. He actually didn't score in this game. It was 0-3 from the floor, 0-2 from three. I guess he was due for a, uh, a, a blank shooting game. He got fouled, honestly. <laughs> I know if you're a new listener, you might have missed this on yesterday's podcast, but Snell famously got got to the free throw line yesterday for the first time all season long. Uh, he got fouled pretty hard in this game. He got hit in the head, and I guess they either didn't rule it a foul or, or they said it was after the shot clock buzzer. But he almost took free throws in back-to-back games, which would have been uh, definitely noteworthy. Um, four, four, four rebounds and three assists, though, for Snell. He played fine, honestly. It wasn't like he was bad. He just didn't make his two shots that he took from three. Um, Kevin Herter, a nice, solid game. Kind of understated, but a couple of big shots. 12 points. Had 5-8 from the floor, 2-3 of three from three. Six rebounds. Had two block shots, which was uh, nice to see from Kevin. Plus 18. Uh, again, not like a huge highlight-making machine in this game, but it just kind of was solid across the board. Uh, Gallinari, a nice game, especially early. He was the one guy in the first quarter that really had it going offensively. He had tw- he had 10 in the first quarter, had 20 in the game on five rebounds, uh, had a steal and a block, and uh, 20 points on 16 junior possessions. Totally fine. Uh, very efficient, 7-7 from, from the line. He looks more like himself these days. Uh, defensively, it's still what it is, but uh, this is the guy, honestly, the, Hawks, the guy that the Hawks were signing is more like the guy we've seen in the last couple of weeks. Now, he's just healthier, I would imagine. He's moving a little bit better. He's making shots, and that's what the Hawks wanted. You know, you can debate as to whether that was a good idea because, you know, he was still limited in some respects, uh, and the contract is what it is, but this is the guy the Hawks thought they were getting. And uh, that's kind of overstating it a little bit, 
but uh, it's just sort of a, a quick summation of what they thought. And he's been making shots and creating offense, and he can do all that stuff in a trustworthy manner. And then Collins and Young were both good in this game. As I said before, Young wasn't like a huge stat game for him. He had 14 points, six assists, two rebounds, was plus 14, 28 minutes for Trey Young. Um, and that was justified. Like they, they just didn't need him in the fourth quarter. He came back in for like two minutes at the very, very end, and that was it. But only took nine shots. It's four of nine, two of six from three, four of four from the free throw line. And that was the right thing. I mean, he, he was getting blitzed. He was getting doubled. Um, Cleveland, and that's what I would do too. I've said this a couple times on the podcast, but if I'm the opposition, I am getting the ball out of Trey Young's hands. And sometimes that will work out for the Hawks. And especially, it's a lot easier to do that. I'm sorry, easier, easier to attack that if you're the Hawks now that you have Gallinari and you have Bogdanovich. Guys who can make shots and make plays, that's the whole appeal. As we've saying, been saying on this podcast and other places, they back to the summer, you know, a lot of what they were trying to do is give them options when Trey either isn't isn't cooking or if he gets doubled or if he's sitting on the bench. And in this game, all those things were true. Like they were able to, he, he, he made the right plays, he made the right passes, he made a couple big shots as well, but they were able to sort of surround him with better talent, and that is the positive result from that. And then Collins led the way with 22 points and 13 rebounds. He was quite good. You know, he had, he had sort of a slow start uh, in terms of his touch in the first quarter. I think he missed three or four jump shots and a floater in the first quarter. But from that point forward, he was pretty much him, his normal self, finishing at an elite level. Uh, 22 points on 20 shooting possessions is not like uber elite for John, but it's more than enough. 17 from the floor, 2 of 4 from 3, 4 of four, 4 of 5 from the free throw line, 4 offensive rebounds, 9 defensive rebounds, 13, 13 rebounds overall, had a black shot, and at least one or two more like clearly influential contests at the rim. I thought he was really good in this game. So, a lot of positivity, obviously. You win five games in a row for the first time in you know four plus years. That's a good time to do that. Um, from here, the Hawks have Monday off after the back-to-back, and they probably won't practice because there's no reason to after back-to-back. Um, then they go Tuesday of a weird spot. So they go they go to Houston, and there's at least a rumbling that Christian Wood could be potentially back for that game. He's missed a bunch of time. But even if he plays, I, I assume he'll be limited. And the headliner with the Rockets right now, Houston's lost 16 games in a row. I'm not... That's not a misprint. They've lost 16 games in a row. They have this very mismatched roster right now. They have a ton of injuries. They're in this transition phase of their franchise. So, on one hand, the Hawks should beat the Rockets. They will be favored in the game, unless there's an injury that I'm not seeing. Even without Capella, I think the Hawks will be favored in the game. Maybe if Capella is out and Wood is in, it might be closer. But I expect the Hawks to be favored in Vegas when it comes to that game. Um, And... uh, yeah, a weird one, because on one hand, Houston just can't lose every game the rest of the season. On the other, the Hawks are the better team in that spot. That's very winnable. Then they come back on Thursday and play the Thunder at home, and the Thunder are in full-blown... They've actually played well this year. they played above their head, but they're now leaning seemingly into the tank a little bit, and they're playing G League guys, and that's a game at home the Hawks will be favored to win. So... I'm not saying that they're definitely going to win both those games, because that's not something that I would ever say on the podcast. But um, let's just say the Hawks will be favored in the next two, and they, and they can have a seven-game winning streak if they can keep holding serve the rest of the way. After that is, the, of course, the looming road trip, but uh, we'll come back to that later on in the week. So, again, a very positive night for Atlanta. Took, basically, what I would describe this as is a taking-care-of-business kind of victory. They beat a team they're supposed to beat. They did it with less than ideal circumstances, too. The fact that Capella missed the game is should not be overstated. Um, Capella's loss is huge, and the fact they were Hawks were able to still win comfortably 
is a very positive sign. So subscribe to the podcast. Please tell your friends about the show. Leave a five-star rating if you enjoy the podcast. Leave a review as well. Uh, all of that is very much appreciated. Check me out on Twitter if you'd like to, at BT Roland. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. And we'll see you all next time.